Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to True Murder, the most shocking killers in true crime history and the authors that have written about them. Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer, The Night Stalker, BTK. Every week, another fascinating author talking about the most shocking and infamous killers in true crime history. True Murder, with your host, journalist and author, Dan Zupanski. Good evening. In March 2009, pretty vivacious Rhonda Casto plunged to her death from a 300-foot cliff in the Oregon woods. The only witness, Stephen Nichols, the father of her nine-month-old baby Annie, told police investigators she slipped and fell. Yet Nichols' story didn't quite mesh with the facts, and some of his other actions raised suspicions as well, including just days after her death trying to collect on a million-dollar life insurance policy he had taken out on his unemployed 23-year-old girlfriend four months earlier. What had begun with a 911 call to report an accident quickly turned into a homicide investigation. However, in part due to lackluster police work, the case grew cold. Then in 2011, Darty Robinson, a tenacious investigator with a Portland law firm, began digging into the circumstances surrounding Rhonda's death. The law firm represented Rhonda's mother, who believed that Nichols, 34 at the time, had murdered her daughter. She wanted to prevent him from gaining custody of Annie and the life insurance money. What Robinson discovered, including an attempt by Nichols to throw his first wife off a high-rise balcony in China, as well as sexual abuse allegations with Rhonda's underage sister, convinced her that Rhonda's death was no accident. So began her six-year battle to save Annie from her own father and find justice for Rhonda. In the meantime, a parallel investigation into the case by co-author Steve Jackson, an award-winning journalist and New York Times best-selling author, and private investigator Tom McCallum posed the same questions. What really happened to Rhonda Casto on that cold, rainy afternoon on the Eagle Creek Trail? And what would become of her child? The book that we're featuring this evening is Saving Annie, Book Two, The Investigator, with my special guest, Steve Jackson, journalist, author, and Wild Blue Press publisher, Steve Jackson. Welcome back to the program, and thank you very much for agreeing to this interview, Steve Jackson. Thanks, Dan. It's always good to be here. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you and some of the authors from Wild Blue Press as well. Um, let's talk about Saving Annie. This is the book two. Previously, not I think a few weeks ago, four, five, six weeks ago, we had you talk about Saving Annie, book one. Uh, as you do in the prologue, you give a, a synopsis for those people that didn't get a chance to hear that. Let's talk about March 2009, Rhonda Casto, 23-year-old, as we mentioned in the introduction, gives us a, a little bit of a synopsis of what happened, as you do in the prologue, to Saving Annie, book two. Well, yes. Um, as you know, the way the books are set up there, it's, uh, it's uh, one story t- told in four different books because that's the way the the story breaks up, and uh, we we thought we'd uh, experiment a little bit with uh, serialization of books. And um, 
So we do a, a small synopsis at the beginning of each, which uh, uh, doesn't give you much of the details, but uh, en- enough to remind people who have read the uh, previous book of where we're at in the book. But anyway, mm-hmm. on uh, in March uh, 2009, March 16th, 2009, uh, Rhonda Casto and her uh, boyfriend, um, who also was the father of her child, her infant, um, went for a hike. Uh, up in the uh, uh, an area off the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. And uh, at some point in that hike, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, Rhonda uh, plunged from a almost 300-foot cliff. And um, a few hours later, her boyfriend, Stephen Nichols, uh, called 911, and that is how the, the story begins. Now, with this uh, Stephen Nichols, the of course his book is called Saving Annie. So, the daughter is nine years old. What happens with Annie after her mother is missing and dead? Um, just a just a small correction. It says Annie uh, is uh, at this time nine months old. Uh, so she is still an, still an infant. No, it's, it's quite all right. I, it's uh, one of those uh, mistakes. But um, well, what happens with uh, Annie is that at first she's left with her uh, her maternal grandmother, um, who is also uh, accusing Nichols of having murdered Rhonda um, in part for a... Uh, million-dollar insurance policy that he took out on Rhonda, and in part because he's had a sexual affair going with uh, Rhonda's younger sister um, since she was 15 years old, obviously uh, uh, a a criminal act. Um, At at a point in here, uh, around May, June of 2009, uh, Nichols... um, uh, demanded Annie and uh, from the grandmother, and she uh, believed that she had to hand the child over to him. He took the child and moved in with his father and stepmother up in Bend, Oregon, which is central Oregon as opposed to um, where they'd been living in Portland. Now, you we... Nichols has gotten a lawyer, so he's refused to talk to the lead investigator in this in in Hood River Sheriff's Office, and that's Detective Sergeant Jerry Tiffany. And uh, we mentioned about the insurance claim, and so they all know about him trying to get that uh, that insurance claim, and that we mentioned also that it's highly suspicious when he just obtained the purchased the the insurance policy, and then she ends up dead. Now, with the police and their suspicions, but yet he gets a lawyer and refuses to talk to police, makes this move to Bend, Oregon, moves in with his family. What is the living arrangement there in Bend, Oregon? And then when do we introduce, or when do you introduce Darty Robinson and how she comes into the picture here in this story? Well, um, uh, Stephen and... Uh... Uh, Annie, as we said, move in with his uh, father and stepmother. Um, they live a few miles out of Bend, Oregon, in a community known as Sun River, sort of a wooded, 
semi-rural area, um, yeah, and um, you know, in the forest, I guess. Uh, and and so that's that's where they're living at this time. Um, uh, Julia Simmons, the the child's maternal grandmother, um, one is trying to prevent uh, Nichols from collecting the money, the insurance uh, policy. Um, and she's also wants uh, custody of the child, um, so that uh, she, in, in some of these machinations are going on during this time. Uh, Ms. Simmons actually thinks that if anybody's going to get the insurance uh, money, she should, um, and get the child, so that uh, the money is being used on the child, and, and it's it's in in her possession. So. Uh, as she's doing this, um, she she goes to the uh, a victim's assistance um, program in the uh, the county uh, where she's living, and they refer her to uh, Darty Robinson, who is a paralegal uh, working for an attorney in Portland uh, named Robert Barton, a former prosecutor in Orange County. And uh, the, the the whole purpose is Darty has signed up through her church to do some free legal uh, work for people, and and so she's uh, she's told about this story about this woman who is trying to gain custody of her uh, granddaughter and, and uh, also prevent um, the the child's father, uh, who she believes killed her daughter, from getting the money. So. Um, this interests Darty, who has her own uh, history uh, of uh, <laughs> children being sexually abused, and and so it kind of is, strikes a, a heartstring with her um, when she hears about this. And so she invites uh, Ms. Simmons to their law office to hear her story. Now, this Darty, you talk about that. She's had many things in her life so that she can be empathetic towards this and also, as you write in this book, take this on like a personal crusade to be able to save this child. Uh, tell us a little bit about her background before this fortuitous uh, meeting at this, through the church and then uh, when she goes to her employer, basically, Bob Barton, um, and pleads her case to be able to take this and do what's necessary. Tell us a little bit about Darty Robinson and her background that shaped her well, for this. Yeah, Darty's a very interesting person, just just in her background, um, and and has faced a lot. She was uh, raised by uh, missionary parents who actually took her to Africa when she was young, and they lived there for a number of years, um, and then before returning and. Um, uh, she's an accomplished uh, pianist, um, uh, but at, but the uh, the dark side of this is she was also molested twice uh, when she by two different people I should say more than twice but two different people during her childhood and when she was a teenager um, and uh, so of course that has brings its own trauma and uh, into it, but also even more tragically is that um, Darty was married and had a, uh, had a family with a number of children, and one day um, one of her daughters came to her and said that her husband, Darty's husband, the child's father, 
uh, had molested her. Um, and this, of course, just threw everything into uh, uh, chaos. Um, Darty uh, went to the police with with the allegations uh, that her husband uh, was arrested. He was a very well-known man, and uh, they lived in Washington, the state of Washington at this time. And um, so he, uh, you know, he denied it, of course, and uh, Darty went to hell with a lot of church people and other people uh, accusing her of making all this up and, and that sort of thing. And uh, until um, uh, well into all of this, uh, her husband, former husband at this point, uh, finally confessed, um, which, of course, vindicated Darty. Um, but, uh, you know, she now had a shattered family with um, daughter who had been uh, sexually molested as she had been. Um, so it, it, it's sort of the, um, one of those things where, uh, you know, she's, she's very empathetic uh, to the plight of children. Um, you know, Darty is, uh, uh, would put any child uh, ahead of her, herself. And so when she hears about this story about Rhonda Castle's child uh, living with the man who um, possibly killed her mother and is having an affair with uh, the mother's younger sister, um, it definitely uh, uh, motivates her to get involved. It's interesting, and I think it's important to mention, too, that because of this, again, we talked about this tenacious character, and she has to have that to pursue this campaign is that she wanted to give her husband 30 years at one point. Uh, she went to the district attorney, and she fought and did an investigation and brought those investigative skills to her new career as a paralegal as a result of the things that she was able to accomplish to protect her children. And uh, he got a maximum, he got five years through that. She convinced the judge that he should get that kind of sentence and then that brought those, as you write, those investigative skills to her new career at this legal firm. How does she uh, convince Bob Barton that he should get involved? And once, well, once he is involved, what do they do in terms of trying to get this uh, before a district attorney and have these charges followed up on that she has done this work for and investigated? and uh, about Stephen Nichols. I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. I, I, I lost track of you there. What, what is the question? Well, the once she goes to Barton at the law firm, what is the next move right. within terms of relationship okay. with police? Okay, okay. That, that, that's what I had, had not understood. Um, well, they, they begin a – but what they basically are doing here is they are – uh, the, the case that they take on, um, Ms. Simmons, the grandmother, has a uh, has already filed a custody uh, case trying to get the child. So she has a lawyer for that. So what she's uh, what Darty and Bob Barton initially start out to do is to prevent Stephen Nichols from uh, getting the money um, uh, from the insurance case. And and what they what Darty wants to do is to make sure that this money is put aside 
um, for the child into the future, obviously um, thinking that the the child may have some issues to deal with, but also just um, you know the whole idea of uh, this man who the that, that she quickly learns the police um, believe killed uh, the mother, and and the insurance company has refused to uh, to pay off on this policy at this time. Um, due to, uh, you know, concerns that uh, Stephen Nichols uh, may have murdered um, Ron DeCasto. Uh, so th- that's how they initially get started. It's, it, they don't start to, to uh, try to prove that Nichols did anything um, to Rhonda. They, they, they basically, they start with the idea of let's stop him from getting the money right now and uh, and then if we have to, uh, we'll file a wrongful death, which is a civil version um, of a of a, a murder charge. And, uh, and and it's kind of as she's starting to do this that she she's learning that you know there's a lot more to this this whole case. There's the the case of the younger sister who was being. Uh, sexually exploited by uh, Stephen Nichols when she was only 15 years old. Uh, Nichols goes up to, when he moves to Bend and is living up there with Annie, uh, gets in trouble for sexually uh, molesting a 13-year-old girl in a, in a swimming pool. So he, he basically can't keep his hands to himself or anything else uh, uh, during, he, you know, this is eight months after Rhonda's death. He's already... Um, getting in trouble for this sort of thing. And so you know, Darty starts to get uh, more and more alarmed. Um, not only is Nichols possibly the murder of, murderer of um, Annie's mom, Rhonda, but he's, he sexually molests uh, underage girls. So, of course, that starts to raise concerns. At the same time, you say that uh, Robinson is trying to get information from the police, from Jerry Tiffany, and he's not being cooperative, yet she is providing information, she believes, and asking him and reaching out to him to see if she can help in any way. What is his response to her reaching out to try to help? Well, basically, during this period of time, she was, uh, um, I I guess to put it politely, the the police investigation uh, a, a year after Rhonda's death has uh, pretty much stalled. Um, there, are, there are a number of witnesses who were never even interviewed, including Nichols' former wife and a former girlfriend who had uh, filed uh, domestic violence charges against him. Um, there, there's, uh, he had lawsuits uh, with his siblings were suing him for stealing money from uh, a trust, uh, which, which is Yet another motive for him needing a lot of money fast is he was uh, being sued for about a half a million dollars by his siblings. And all of this stuff had not been uh, uh, run down um, by the police investigation, which was supposed to be headed by Sergeant Tiffany. Um, So Tiffany, as she uh, started to feed him information, hoping that he would uh, reciprocate and give her information, basically would take her information, say thank you, but then say he couldn't tell her anything because it was an ongoing investigation. Um curious as to what ongoing investigation since he had not uh, 
interviewed some witnesses um, or interviewed them late or it wasn't doing anything much with these um, as far as uh, Darty could tell or, or any sort of paperwork. So how do they, they – it's very interesting with the civil wrongful death civil suit and, and the aim of that in terms of the purpose behind this. And you explain – what the difference is between a civil suit and you, of course, the best example is O.J. Simpson, and then you explain the difference in terms of preponderance of evidence. Uh, but tell us about why they thought of this, how it came to them, and explain the difference in the civil and criminal cases and why they thought that this would be an advantage for them. Well, there are, there's a couple of things going on here uh, with they file a, a, a wrongful death, uh, which, as, as you noted, is uh, very similar to what's happened in the O.J. Simpson case where O.J. was uh, uh, tried in the criminal court and found not guilty. Um, so the families of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson uh, sued in civil court uh, with what's called a wrongful death suit. Um, as we all know, in a criminal case, uh, the, the evidence, the state has to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, um, which is a fairly high bar. It's not beyond any and all doubt, as some people will say, but it's beyond a reasonable doubt, which, uh, and, you, and you have to have a unanimous uh, jury verdict to convict somebody in a criminal case on, uh, with, a, with a murder conviction. Uh, with a wrongful death, you are... Uh, basically, it's uh, the preponderance of an evidence uh, would lead, uh, you know, the jury to believe that uh, he was indeed guilty of having caused the death of, of um, the victim, in this case, Ron DeCasto. And, uh, and, and it doesn't require a unanimous jury. It's, it's a, uh, a majority a simple majority, and of course, uh, in the criminal case, there's uh, the possibility of imprisonment um, as well as fines and that sort of thing. With uh, the civil case, it's 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 a matter of uh, money and uh, getting getting a, a settlement from the uh, the defendant. In in this case with Rhonda, there's a couple of things they're trying to accomplish. One is that if um, Nichols, uh, the, the insurance company turns around, turned around and, and gave Nichols the money um, because he was suing the insurance company uh, for this money. And if they turned around and gave it to him, they wanted to make sure they could sue uh, Nichols and, and hopefully get the money that way for Annie um, through, the, through the wrongful death lawsuit. Um, and the, the other part is to is that if Nichols was sued, they'd be able to depose him, which in a criminal trial we all know that the defendant isn't required to take the stand in his own defense. Um, right. Most don't take the stand because then you, you subject yourself to cross-examination, questions, and all that sort of thing. But in the civil suit, uh, Nichols would have had to have been deposed under oath. Um, which means they could have asked him questions about the circumstances of Rhonda's death um, 
and in the same sort of cross-examination uh, that would have happened in a criminal trial, um, except for uh, with the deposition. And then, of course, uh, the, he could have been brought to the stand during the civil um, uh, during the trial part of the civil suit, and and uh, questioned on the stand uh, with the uh, attorney, of course, having the record of what he said in the deposition. So, in a way, it's a it's a way of forcing him to answer questions about Rhonda's death, which he had refused to do after the the initial couple of interviews with police uh, the night of. Um, and so this is a, sort of a way to uh, to get to him um, uh, without it being a criminal case. And, of course, at this time, the difference between the O.J. Simpson case and this case was there was no criminal case yet against uh, Nichols, no murder, murder case. So whatever he had said in a deposition during the civil case or if he took the stand during the civil case, uh, could have also been used uh, in a future criminal case. And that's the importance of, of what they were trying to do there. Absolutely. Very, very unique. And I thought that was a very fascinating part of this case, one of them anyway. Let's talk about, too, February 3rd, 2011, and Darty Robinson and Bob Barton. Why are they livid, as you write? What's going on in Deschutes County that's made them angry. Um, well, this goes back to uh, Stephen Nichols uh, is a uh, he's arrested and indicted for five counts, felony counts of uh, sexual abuse of a minor um, from right. this uh, incident that took place eight months after Rhonda's death up in Bend in the swimming pool. Um, so, you know, this this is important to them. For a number of reasons, one is they believe he's a, uh, a uh, sexual uh, abuse, uh, abuser. Uh, he's uh, guilty of sexual assault, um, and also that uh, you know now it, it could give them some leverage to uh, um, to get farther into the Ronda Castro uh, case. Um, so anyway, they they've gone up and they've talked to the prosecutor in the the Deschutes County um, District Attorney's office uh, during after Nichols was indicted and and for a good half year um, or actually more than a half year, almost a year and a half uh, of all this, uh, you know, the Nichols gets some good defense attorneys. They stall. They um, they get asked for other times. They they investigate. They of course go after the 13 year old and try to paint a bad picture of her. There's a, a lot of this sort of thing going on, and so. Uh, um, uh, but uh, Darty and Bob Barton are very interested in that the prosecutor uh, stays on the case and uh, and goes after him for the felonies. Um, which will also give him a, a sexual uh, assault felony while this other case of sexual assault down in Portland on Rhonda's younger sister is, is also being investigated. Um, so the, the prosecutor up there, uh, a woman named Jody Bond, assures them for during this whole time that she's, uh, she's not going to plead this case. She's going to... Um, continue to uh, press for felony charges. She's very confident. She's very good. She's 
done the, done sex cases for number of years, um, and uh, and so it looks like uh, they're going to go to trial in January of 2011. Um, but shortly before there, there's a an election, and there a new district attorney uh, is elected, and um, for one thing, he fires all of his all of the former. Uh, deputy district attorneys, including Jody Vaughn, um, uh, when this is going on. And then he directs uh, a, a, another deputy district attorney, one who's still there, to plead the case out. So basically, they pleaded out to a misdemeanor um, sexual molesting case. Uh, Nichols gets a, a slap on the wrist, essentially, and, um, and suddenly that case goes away. Right. You also say that uh, fortunately, Darty Robinson obtained a certified copy of the Deschutes County file and a certified copy of the audio tape of the sentencing hearing. And you say years later, you write years later, it would prove crucial. We'll just stop for a second to talk about our sponsor, which is Third Love. Using millions of real women's measurements, Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind for an impeccable fit and incredible feel. Third Love is the industry leader with 70 sizes, including its signature half-cup sizes. The details make the difference from premium fabrics to expert design. Skip the trip, find your fit in 60 seconds with Third Love's online fit finder. Order and try on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. Over 10 million women have taken the quiz to date. It's actually fun and takes less than a minute to complete. And did you know breast shape matters when finding a good fit? Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. Hands down, the most comfortable bra you'll own. My wife Lisa received her classic T-shirt bra from Third Love. She was a bra fitter for eight years professionally. She said the cup shape was very, very flattering and the bra itself, very, very comfortable. The quiz to find the perfect bra for her really helped, she said. She loves her Third Love bra. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com true now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. Thirdlove.com true. Steve, we talked about the frustration that Darty Robinson was experiencing with this incredibly lenient sentence, especially when they were agreed to, uh, that they were they were hoping for and had been promised a much more harsh sentence for him, a more appropriate sentence. So what do, does Darty Robinson and Bob Barton do next? Well, um Obviously, as you said, this was this was very disappointing um, for them, uh, and uh, you know that, that with everything else seeming to stall, the the uh, sexual uh, assault investigation down in Portland on the younger sister, uh, the murder trial, the murder case doesn't seem to be going anywhere, um, uh, and uh, so. All they can do at this moment is just continue with their um, plan to stop Nichols from getting the uh, um, money from the life insurance policy. 
and keep gathering information uh, and sending it to Jerry Tiffany, hoping that at some point uh, he will put a case together and um, and do something about uh, Ron DeCasso's death. Um, they are convinced by this time because they've, they've done their own investigation, probably a better investigation than the police had done. Um, I think that's actually fairly obvious. And were as convinced uh, as any of the police detectives, and a, and a number of them were convinced. Uh, Jerry Tiffany has said he was convinced that Nichols was uh, responsible, but another number of other detectives who weren't in charge had also believed it. Um, and, uh, and and so to so do Darty and Bob Barton. And, and remember, Bob Barton was a former prosecutor in uh, Orange County, which is a a, a very large uh, uh, district attorney's office, as opposed to the. Uh, the very tiny district attorney's office in Hood River County, which is the county where Rhonda was murdered um, or died, I guess I should say, at this point. Um, the, uh, so all they can do is, is, is keep trying to gather information, talk to witnesses, get them on the record. As you noted, Darty um, got a copy of the uh, Nichols um, sentencing uh, hearing and uh, the plea deal he got because, uh, yeah, as you said, this will this will come into play uh, later in, uh, and actually will appear in book three, its importance. Um, but uh, so they, they just continue with their investigation, just realizing that um, somehow uh, Nichols keeps slipping through the, uh, uh, um, the, the fine machinations of justice, I guess. We talk about that years later would prove crucial. You talk about that certified copy of the audio tape of the sentencing hearing and uh, just the copy of the Deschutes County file itself. What did they get, especially from that audio tape of the sentencing hearing? What does Darty and, and Bob Barton realize and have as ammunition, per se, in that sentencing hearing? Well, uh, I, I think... The, the part of what what it is is that uh, you know they're, they're, they have a record now that he of what he had done and, and uh, um, the uh, both his um, uh, remarks to the police when they came over they were investigating this and they they came over and uh, he essentially admitted to what what he had done um, uh, also the uh, the 13 year old girl and her parents. Um, some of the the texts that Steve Nichols sent to this 13-year-old, very sexually suggestive. He sent a photograph with himself posing uh, shirtless in front of a mirror. And this is a 34-year-old guy um, sending this sort of thing to a a 13-year-old girl. And um, so this is all preserved, uh, which, which, as we've said, will come in uh, to play later on in this. So um, you know that basically is uh, is that they're they're building this case that um, they they believe should have been being built by the the police. You talk about uh, October eleventh, two thousand and eleven, regarding the wrongful death, and you call it a cross claim. Tell us what happens in that case. 
Well, um, the the wrongful death is uh, is uh, is eventually um, thrown out, which wasn't entirely unexpected. A, a judge says this is not the right venue for it. Um, you know, that would be more of a, a, a federal case, um, and so they uh, it it gets thrown out, but it it serves its purpose of. Um, the the insurance company can't settle with Nichols and give him the money, and there was also a guardian ad litem who wanted some of the money. Everybody wants all this money um, except for for Annie, um, and so and that's Darty's, of course, uh, main objective is to make sure that Annie gets the money. So they uh, they they get to the they uh, depose the insurance company um, uh, agent who sold this. Uh, insurance policy to Rhonda, and a lot of things come out. Uh, uh, there's there's uh, items like uh, originally they had asked for a smaller amount, uh, five hundred thousand on Rhonda and Steve both, um, and that was when Rhonda was present. Uh, then when the agent got back to his office, Steve called him up and uh, asked if they could raise it to actually he wanted one point four million on Rhonda's. Um, and uh, but uh, after a couple of weeks of negotiating back and forth, they settled on a one million dollar policy, which is is uh, uh, very questionable in the first place. You don't give a million dollar policy for a young woman who was unemployed, uh, had no assets, um, uh, was on uh, was as a matter of fact on uh, welfare and food stamps because. Uh, Stephen Nichols did very little to support her or her um, child, uh, right. and, and so this this is a mistake in the first place by this insurance company, and and for this very reason is that you don't uh, you know give somebody an insurance policy uh, that provides a motive to to uh, to murder somebody else, um, and you and there should be and there usually is. Uh, requirements of, um, you know, uh, uh, being able to prove a certain amount of income for that that is somewhat close to what you're asking as an insurance policy. Um, and there's it's also the quickness that, uh, you know, Steve Nichols is very anxious to have this done and done quickly, um, and uh, and it's done. He I believe uh, first applies in November. They're given the uh, after this, some of this back and forth and settling on a million dollars, they go back to, uh, they get the, the policy is, is awarded to them in December and they receive it in January. There's a number of lies on, on both applications. Um, uh, so the, the whole thing was, uh, was a mess. The, the insurance agent who sold it to him was very inexperienced and he did not get um, much help from the, uh, the higher-ups in the office. Um, and so there's uh, they depose him, and all of this comes out about how this was arranged and arranged very quickly. And I believe they get the insurance policy uh, sign on it in January. And of course, uh, Rhonda is is dead uh, two months later. As part of this, too, in October 2011, you talk about the settlement that was reached about the money. Tell us how the court rules on that money. Uh, dispersion. 
Well, there, there, there is a settlement. The, the, the court doesn't actually make the, uh, the decision. They, they, uh, they agree with it once it's made. Is basically Steve Nichols did not want to be deposed. Um, he did not want to go under oath and be asked questions that could be used later um, to uh, 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 to match against whatever he told the police and whatever he might say or have uh, exposed in a criminal trial. Um, right. So he agrees that he's going to release any uh, any uh, sort of hold he has on the money. Um, and so the only uh, money Steve Nichols actually gets out of this is to pay his attorneys off, um, which is it was a chunk of money, several hundred thousand dollars. Um, and uh, and the rest of the money goes into a trust for Annie. Uh, and and that's sort of where the uh, book two ends up with uh, Darty has been successful at stopping uh, Nichols from getting any of this money. Uh, the remainder of the money, uh, as well as interest on it, uh, is in a trust with Annie. Now, uh, at this point, Steve Nichols is still her, her guardian, uh, has custody of her, and he's allowed to use um, the money for... Um, her her needs, um, not his, but hers, uh, such as uh, dance lessons or, or clothing or, or things along those lines. But he's supposed to be held under a very uh, – there's somebody watching over this, this trust who he has to report um, uh, the, the expenditures to. And this will also come into play in later books as to – uh, how he uh, manipulates this uh, somewhat, but um, the the main point and ending for book two is that Darty and Bob Barton have done what they set out to do, which is to make sure Steve Nichols doesn't receive this money and that it's put aside for Annie. But uh, the, the the last the last part of uh, book two is that uh, at this point Darty. Um, is determined that not only will Steve Nichols not receive any money, um, but he'll answer uh, uh, to justice for uh, the death of Ron Castle if she has anything to do with it. You talk about that, but we didn't mention how much does she find out? How much do her and, as a result, Bob Barton know about the particulars of this case that looks from anyone looking at looks like an obvious murder. Well, there, there are, there are some indications. Uh, she doesn't know everything at this point. Uh, she does know that his, um, uh, some of what he tells the police, uh, doesn't match, uh, you know, the, the, the facts, um, and that he changes his stories. Uh, there's the, the, um, she has heard a number of things, both from family members and friends, uh, that uh, Nichols had um, basically made some threats in the past. Uh, of course, there's the million-dollar insurance policy as one motive. There's another motive in the um, in the younger that he's obsessed with the younger sister and wants Rhonda out of the way uh, so he can be with her. Even tells her at some point. Uh, that uh, Annie will forget her mom and and the uh, younger sister can step in and be the mom. Um, yeah. There's the, uh, the 
he makes claims such as that he uh, he went and bought an engagement ring and was going to propose to Rhonda on this trail from which she fell, and that was the reason they were up there on a rather nasty uh, weather day. Um, but there's there's no proof he uh, that he ever bought it. In fact, they they go to the uh, jewelry store um, where he claimed to have purchased this, and they said no, they were in here, but nobody ever bought anything. So he's getting caught in lies. Um, for one thing, and why do you lie if um, if uh, the truth uh, serves you? Um, he has the two sexual assault on minors um, cases. The one, of course, we just talked about, uh, he ends up with a slap on the wrist because of the district attorney. Um, and the other one is still being investigated at this time. And so... There's there's just a lot of you know it's a it's a circumstantial case. There's um, you know there were no witnesses to when Rhonda fell. Uh, there is a witness that Darty at this time is not yet aware of who was the search and rescue um, uh, uh, guy who was the first with his partner were, were the first to reach Rhonda's body and right. what they found there. He talked in the first uh, first segment uh, about uh, how that did not match uh, Nichols' story either. Um, so she's just uh, she's like any good investigator. You you know, there's a point where you a tipping point where um, you're convinced of something, and so now you've got to go see if you can put together um, uh, a case, and if you can, present it to somebody who will take this forward. Uh, Darty by this time, has talked to Stephen Nichols' former wife, who uh, told her that when they were living in Shanghai at one point, he attempted to first uh, smother her and then tried to throw her off a balcony of an, an eighth-floor balcony in Shanghai, China, which, you know, you start putting uh, things together of uh, yeah. modus operandi, which is uh, throw somebody off of a high um uh, a balcony or a cliff or or whatever else um and then uh in his uh history of uh, um, sexual assault and physical assault and um particularly with women and and so this this uh sets her off on quest number two, which is to um you know pursue. Uh, she's she's protected Annie and and uh, and even though Annie is still in the possession of of uh, Steve Nichols, which she's uh, now trying to work on that custody case. The the first custody lawyer um, does not do a very good job, and in fact uh, uh, doesn't do anything and is eventually disbarred um, as a result of this and some other cases. But so they kind of they take on the the custody case as well. Um, even though uh, Bob Barton now has kind of done his job and is backing out of it, but he he allows uh, Darty um, to continue forward trying to put together uh, the evidence needed for a murder case. And that's you talk about that, two. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You talk about the that she and Barton had asked to meet with the Hood River District Attorney named Sewell. Uh, that right. sounds like, if, if I'm not correct, it sounds like you're trying to go over someone's head to try to appeal to this district attorney. What's the result of that? I know we probably said well, no. Well, but... uh, 
first of all, they try to go through t- Tiffany saying, uh, you know, we, we'd like to, uh, you know, go talk to uh, District Attorney Sewell, and Tiffany is sort of, well, why do you want to do that? And they're like, well, we'd like to, you know, present what we think is the case and maybe help you get some uh, support and, uh, you know, to, to keep going forward with this and, and that sort of thing. But um, at this point, nothing much comes of it um, yet. And once again, that will be uh, handled in book three and four uh in 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 how that comes to uh to change uh over time and, and some of the other things that happen during this period of time. You write in the book that very cryptic you talk about Rhonda talking or Rhonda talking to her aunt about the proposed trip to go hiking that that day. Tell us uh if she knew about that and what that claim was from the aunt. Well, the the aunt and the grandmother uh, actually both um, claimed that uh, they received a, a text from Rhonda um, that uh, about the hike. Steve had Steve had been uh, talking about going on this hike for some time, and you know, uh, and, and he tells the police uh, a bunch of varying stories, everything from they wanted to lose weight to where he wanted to propose to her in a. In a uh, romantic spot, um, various stories. Um, but the aunt and the grandmother said they received a uh, note from uh, Rhonda shortly before they leave for this hike saying he either wants to propose to me or shove me off a cliff. Um, yeah, well. And that, of course, uh, just, you know, day day. this is the day that she dies. It's sort of one of those... Um, you know, prescient sort of statements of of what what happens. Um, you know the uh, uh, you know Nichols will come along later and oh they, you know they're lying about that. You know there's because they don't have they don't didn't keep the text. Um, and uh, and so there's there's no proof of this. Um, on the other mm-hmm. hand, when you're looking at this as an investigator. Um, the police uh, go over to the house on the night Rhonda dies. Uh, they've been told she's dead. Um, they go over there to, to break the news, and without having any time to kind of come up with a story or make these sorts of things up, they they make these statements. They make the statements about that there's a life insurance policy. Uh, the aunt and the grandmother say she told us he was either going to uh, propose or throw her off a cliff. So, you know, if you don't yeah. realize the kind of timing of this, you could say, okay, well, this is a, an upset, angry family. They came along later. Uh, maybe they want the insurance money, so they make up all these things. They didn't have time for that. They didn't have time to put their heads together and say, okay, what you should say is this and what you should say is that. Um, sure. So, you know, that, and when you're building a circumstantial case, uh, a good prosecutor has to be very aware of making sure the jury understands that it, that very thing is that there is no time here to come up with a uh, this kind of a story with this kind of detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also talk about uh, that we mentioned in the introduction too as well that a parallel investigation into this case is being conducted by yourself 
and private investigator Tom McCallum. And you say posing the same questions. Tell us a little bit about investigator Tom McCallum and uh, just this parallel investigation that is being conducted at the same time. Well, this is this has starts to happen right about the time when uh, uh, the insurance case is wrapping up, and uh, Darty is, uh, uh, you know, has done what she wanted to do, has saved the money for Annie, um, is now starting her custody uh, um, part of the case, as well as looking into justice for Ron DeCasto. And we're completely unaware of her. Uh, Tom, Tom is Tom. Tom is uh, from a very, very wealthy man in the Bend area um, of Oregon, and he has some concerns because his daughter, who is going through a divorce, is is dating this guy that uh, he and all their friends find kind of creepy. Um, this guy, you know, he's he's got a, a young child now. Uh, you know, a year and something, eight years old, almost two. Um, he's hanging around her daughter. He, he, with his kind of money, you know, he checks out everything. So he asked Tom to run a background check. Um, and uh, that, that of course, becomes part, it becomes book three. Um, sort of interesting, Tom and I had met in 1989, I believe, when I was uh, living in Oregon and the uh, – uh, Oregon Department of Corrections um, uh, head was murdered in a parking lot outside of the, uh, the Oregon Department of Corrections building, um, and it became a the, the police and prosecutors tried to uh, paint this story that he had been surprised by some burglar as he was getting into his car, but none of that added up. Um, and a, uh, a young man was arrested about a year after it happened. Um, and everything I've been doing up to that point, investigating, is, and I'd probably written several hundred stories um, all told, maybe maybe not quite that many by this time, but I suddenly got a call from uh, the defense investigator for the young man who had been arrested, and, and he wanted me to uh, sit down with him and talk about how I found out what I'd found out. And at first I told, told him to bug off. Um, I wasn't sharing anything with anybody. Um, and that, that happened for a couple of times. And, and fi- finally this guy, Tom McCollum, uh, uh, volunteered to buy me lunch. And as you know, all journalists will go for a free lunch. So <laughs> We ended up meeting, and, uh, and it, it became fast friends after that. Uh, we have done some different investigations together. So when uh, Tom got a call from this uh, billionaire, and this is the, the start of book three, uh, and Tom discovers that this guy, this creepy guy, whose name is Stephen Nichols, uh, had a uh, just some domestic violence charges, uh, restraining orders against him had uh, and was possibly a suspect in a murder uh, case. Obviously, this raises a bunch of red flags, and um, Tom decided he needed a little help on the investigation, so he called me, and I drove out in January of 2012, and we started um, our investigation, which, as you note, uh, parallels a lot of what uh, uh, Darty had done and is still doing at this time 
So we are unaware of her for uh, probably the next six months. And yeah, that's Article 3. Absolutely. And it's called The Journalist and the Private Eye. And uh, Book 4 is called Case Closed. Uh, tell us when Book 3 is going to be released. Hopefully it isn't released yet. But tell us when it's going to be released and Book 4 when it's slated to be released. Book 3 is going to be released uh, shortly after Christmas. In fact, uh, uh, there may be a little uh, Christmas present for everybody on, on that one. Um, wow. We're still working out details. And uh, and then book four will come out in January. And for those who don't want to read books in, in parts, even though we think it's kind of an exciting way, we've had lots of people uh, tell us that it's, it's kind of fun to have something to look forward to. Um, but sure. people who don't want to read it, that way in uh, late February we'll probably be re- releasing the uh, the entire book or all four books combined into one. Um, so if you'd rather wait until uh, till then you can or you can stay up with uh, everybody else on what's going on in the case. Absolutely. I think it's a real success doing it this way. Like I had mentioned to you beforehand, I said it just really – uh, draws you more, even more so, into the characters that are involved in this. As you say, um, you didn't even weren't even aware of people that uh, heroic people, uh, heroic efforts to be able to solve this case. And then, without that knowledge, you and Tom McCallum undergo and undertake this investigation on your own as well. And it's a fascinating case and a fascinating way of of delivering this story to the audience, I think. So I want to thank you very much for coming on and talking about Saving Annie, Book 2, The Investigator. Thank you very much, Steve Jackson. Um, For those people that might not know about Wild Blue Press, can you just give us a little bit of information? I know many authors that have been on this program are from the Wild Blue Press uh, stable of authors. Tell us a little bit about Wild Blue Press and how they might look at your other work and the roster of fine authors. Wild Blue Press, we're, we're an indie uh, publishing company. We like to say we're an A through Z company, that we we have the best of traditional publishers um, along with the uh, the best of indie publishers. Um, we specialize in particular in true crime as well as thrillers and mysteries. So we have a couple of histories and, and are hoping this year to expand into some other genres. But can find out all about us at wildbluepress.com that's wildbluepress.com all one word and uh, you'll find our our list of authors we have some great um, true crime that is uh, that this fall has just been one great book Mm -hmm. after another Um, absolutely and uh, going to continue into the new year we like to like to think that we're uh, the leading publisher in true crime right now Absolutely, uh, Steve. I want to congratulate you on that. An incredible, diverse group of authors and subjects, and I think it's taken true crime where it needed to go. I think some of the other, obviously the big publishers, have not got their uh, got the pulse of, of the reader, the true crime reader. So I think uh, Wild Blue Press has certainly got the lion's share of all the real good true crime authors and the fantastic stories that they've written about. I want to thank you very much, Steve. We're coming on and talking about Saving Annie, Book 2, The Investigator. You have a great evening. Thank you very much, Steve Jackson. You too, Dan. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Good night. Good night.